I wrote it because my husband loves carrot cake. I do not. I actually, I often say I would say keep vegetables the hell out of my dessert. I'm not into it, but I, I will find it for him, buy it for him, make it for him, um, and, and absolutely watch him enjoy it. And it is not up to me to tell him that he shouldn't like it because I don't. So I am carrot cake. I do not necessarily find myself to be appealing all the time, but who am I to tell him he should not find me appealing or withhold myself from him because I can't necessarily view consuming me in the same way that he deliciously would want to. And that's, that's something that it, it sort of illuminated this idea. Who are we to tell our partners who we desire not to desire us because we're having trouble doing so? Intimate, inspiring, raw, real. Self-love stripped down and amped up. Welcome to Bed Talks, the podcast with your hosts, Sabrina and Meg. Bed Talks is fueled by our mission to use our voices and share no bullshit stories to heal, connect, and empower. We're here to highlight all facets of what it means to be a woman, letting go of ideals of perfectionism and embracing the struggles for the lessons they teach us. We get real and vulnerable with each other and our guests to inspire you to own your journey, embody your worth, and step into your power. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive deep. We sat down with Amanda Luderman, sex-positive psychotherapist for our longest Bed Talks episode yet, and you don't want to miss a minute. We get into so much good stuff, arousal, communication, safety, shame, worthiness, sexual narratives, and using our voices to create and cultivate what she has coined erotic empathy. Listen up to find out what it means and how it will empower you. Amanda has a knack for normalizing the taboo topic of sexuality and shares great advice on how to build your erotic confidence and get past fear of judgment, which I know from working in the lingerie biz is often the biggest obstacle we face as women when it comes to expressing our erotic and sensual natures. On that note, I'm super excited to announce the launch of a new online workshop I developed called Love Your Selfie 101. It's a selfie and self-love workshop where you'll learn all the secrets to tasteful erotic lingerie selfies so you you can feel super confident on your journey of self-empowerment. It's a perfect gift for yourself if you're looking for a safe outlet to express your eroticism and celebrate your unique beauty. You can find it on the new empowerment platform, oraclesisterhood.com, where all our upcoming workshops and episodes can be found. Now on to this juicy and inspiring interview with Amanda. Enjoy. No talking before we press record. This is all juicy stuff. It's all juicy stuff. I pressed record as soon as she started talking about this. I was like, this is good. It's amazing. So we are here today with Amanda Luderman, psychotherapist with a special interest in the erotic dynamic of relationships. And welcome. Thank you. It sounds so seductive when you say it. <laughs> Everything <laughs> does. Sensual Meg. That's what we call her. <laughs> and the reason that you're here today is I was, you know, got into an actual positive Instagram vortex spin for once of, you know, clicking, clicking on events with women in Montreal and speakers and you popped up and instantly I got really curious hmm. and, um, you know, erotic empathy, like 
what is that? So why don't you tell us, this is what your kind of, your, your brand name is. Why don't you elaborate and let us know what drives you and what erotic empathy is? Because that's really what kind of lit me up on your page. Thank you. What a beautifully phrased question. Um, I love that it's curiosity that, and, you know, and, and really trying on the phrase itself that got you interested. I like that. Uh, I have heard that sort of thing before. Hmm. Erotic empathy. What is that? You know, and, and that's really the point to some degree. So erotic empathy, I'll, I'll first explain that, um, I am a therapist. I'm a psychotherapist first. I worked, um, generally at the beginning of my practice. I'm actually now, uh, pretty much this week is the anniversary of, uh, my 10 years ago, I started my private practice and congrats. Psychotherapy. Wow. Yeah. Well, you have you. a very impressive even schooling. I mean, for a sec, just remind us, cause we, we had a meeting and it was from coast to coast, all the <laughs> impressive schools. I was like, fuck, I got to step up my game. <laughs> yeah, I have like little old undergrad over here. Yeah. Um, I started uh, at McGill in, in undergrad. Uh, and then I, I went to New York City and I studied at Columbia University. I did my dual master's there in uh, counseling psychology. Uh, and actually a little bit later on, I specialized in sexuality, um, in terms of, uh, getting an additional, um, uh, certification at Guelph, uh, at the university of Guelph and so sexuality studies are, is not really a linear process. Interesting microcosm in and of itself right there. <laughs> um, you know, you learn, you evolve, you pick up interesting, um, trainings sort of on your own across time. And particularly if you're interested in alternative stuff or, you know, um, uh, I guess lecture on non-monogamy at McGill now for the this year this March will be the fourth year in a row, um, and non-monogamy in and of itself it's very hard to find uh, reputable accredited trainings in. So, you know, working within the field of intimacy is sort of about seeking it out and learning and and really finding interesting trainings and workshops. You know, rope uh, play like shabari mm. for example is a whole world and um, tantra right is a word that people um, are interested in like tantric trainings for couples. There's a lot of great stuff out there that you can seek if you're genuinely interested so uh yeah i that's my universities so then within that seeking what led you to discover and create erotic empathy how did that come to fruition yeah so um where i practice which is the, the psychotherapy of sexuality in a sense is right between two mainstream industries so there's sex therapy and there's general psychological therapy, right? Counseling and, and psychology. And they're actually quite different. What's interesting is that psychology, if you're seeking to be a psychologist and you want to get a PhD in psychology, chances are there are zero courses on sexuality or intimacy in your program. And that's so, that means that if you're going to a therapist and you expect to be able to talk about the nitty gritty of your dating life and, you know, and the weird things he did or whatever, <laughs> or how come you just don't, how come it doesn't work so easily for you when you're with someone, but masturbation's no problem. And you just figure you can toss that out. For example, with your therapist, they may get a little tongue tied. They may actually not know how to handle that question. Beyond two words, daddy issues. <laughs> Well, it's like family stuff, for example, and not to say daddy issues, but that's a whole other talk <laughs> we could have, I'm sure. Um, if, if let's say, you know, um, you're in a room, you're watching a movie with your family or something, even as a teenager and an intimacy, some sort of intimate scene shows up, 
you know, there are family members who rush to change the channel as fast as possible, right? Um, or it's just very, very awkward and uncomfortable <laughs> and like awkward shifting in yeah. the room. Like, so yeah. awkward. Yeah. Like I can, I instantly yeah. get like, ah, I'm back there. And my yeah. mom had it timed so well. She had a gift to walk in. There could be like one scene in the whole movie or a whole show and she'd walk and in and be like, the- what are you watching? And you'd be like, I feel ashamed <laughs> and I don't know why. Exactly. So where sexuality is concerned, we tend to be a little bit more personally present. And in therapy, we count on our therapists to be able to remain objective and be present and empathic with us. And if sexuality brings up that personal leaning, that extra sort of subjective feeling, then we really want the person we're working with to be able to have that extra skill set that can handle these discussions. So I noticed that somewhere between mainstream therapists and sex therapists who more often than not get diagnostic clients, right? Clients who have distinct, let's say, erectile dysfunction or sexual pain or, um, you know, or just, or people who at least are willing to go to a sex therapist, which is not everyone, right? Who don't assume that that's what they need. Right. Somewhere in the middle is everybody else. The gray area between those two extremes. And people nowadays, especially like, you know, the millennial generation, let's say, or just any uh, 18 to 40 right now, people are more comfortable addressing the fact that there's a concern if there is one. Right. And, and also kind of acknowledging that our sex lives are important yeah, <laughs> to our it's lives. A, it's you a know, part think, of our identity. Yeah. It's a, a valid part of mental health is who you are sexually. Yeah. And erotically, if you're fulfilled or not, it will affect, you know, we don't want to end up on antidepressants and anti-anxieties because we're not fulfilled in our relationships and numbing out those feelings. Yeah. We actually want to address them. And erotic empathy basically is the skill set that I have been developing so that mainstream therapists don't shy away from sexual concerns. That's, that's the first lens of it. And the second lens is actually the skill set within sessions so that I offer my clients. I really believe that people can develop erotic empathy for themselves and for their relationship. I love that. And every time there's some kind of either, I love how you also called it a skill set um, applied to, let's say, relationships. that's with yourself as well. So you can think with a partner, whatever partner that is, even a family member or romantic, but like, I love relating it to the relationship you have to yourself. And on just like two little thoughts on that, just thinking of my gosh, the, the, how, how we've changed through the generations. Mm -hmm. I mean, back in the day, you look at TV programming, the separate beds, the everything, like it's so fascinating to think what started, like what, what the shit, how, how did it start going towards, you know, Netflix, which every show has like pair yes. of tits and ass in it, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <gasps> when we, in fact, um, it's, I'm not going to go into the whole like fear that porn is, uh, you know, an overstimulation of our sexual senses and stuff like that, because it's not, in fact, it, you know, it can help people figure out what arouses them. Um, but porn aside for a second, we do need a lot of psychological stimulation and, and, and security in order to access our feelings of, you know, whether or not you're really turned on mm. you, in order to really be that's able to safety. tap into your sensate. Yeah. Those sensations, you have to really believe, for example, that, you know, um, as you arch your pelvis upward as a woman, you know, the more turned on you get, the more sort of upwards your, your pelvis begins to turn 
So, for example, sticking your butt out and having that nice curve of your spinal silhouette is usually not happening when you're orgasming. Usually you're actually creating those tummy rolls and tilting your pelvis up forward, you know, and, and, and really bringing in being receptive and having those those delicious feelings that we get. And that's not usually um, what we would want to photograph, per se. So in order to achieve that escape into erotic sensations, you have to have confidence that your partner's not judging what your tummy looks like when they more importantly you're not judging what your body looks like in that moment and that's erotic empathy for the self and erotic empathy for the appeal of your partner where you're concerned i love that so much could you actually explain exactly what erotic erotic (laughs) empathy means because we had that article about the carrot that was so such a beautiful explanation of it but we want <laughs> kind of okay, so understand. in brief, yeah. the, the quote that sort of uh, that became a meme briefly there is um, erotic empathy is the practice of accepting that you cannot necessarily that, that you what did it say? Uh, erotic empathy is the practice of accepting that your partner experiences you in a light that you can't possibly understand. So allowing each person to have their unique experience of the other without judging or criticizing it is very important. Right. So and it's it, accepting the way that they see you, even if you don't see yourself yeah. as attractive in that moment, they mm-hmm. look at you and they're like, oh, that's hot. And like, en- like being able to enjoy that for them. Right? Totally. Yeah. Okay. If you get home from the gym and you feel all sweaty and icky and gross and your partner just suddenly looks at you and those pheromones are out. Right. And they, <laughs> they just, mm, they, they're ready to just dive in. And you're like, no, 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 I'm gross. Like, let me go shower. Just give me a second. There's two important components of that. One is let them find you attractive. Don't tell them what they shouldn't find attractive because what you're doing in that moment is rejecting them, period, when in fact you're telling them that you're not worthy of that that level of attraction. And the other one is at the same time, gently you can postpone that initiative and say, don't move, I will be right with you Mm -hmm. because you need to change the conditions of your arousal for yourself to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So it is okay to say, hold that thought. I'm going to go washcloth my important parts (laughs) so that I can relax into this. And so there's your happy medium. I love that. You're like essentially sort of negotiating Mm -hmm. in a way. It's funny. It reminds me of this like, um, platonic touch workshop that I went to which was really about that it was um asking it wasn't just saying no or saying yes necessarily you had the option of negotiating Mm. and that's so nice to have that consent and to be able to also negotiate what feels right for you and what's what the and the other person voicing what they want yes it's I really put a lot of emphasis in my sessions on establishing the conditions for optimal Uh, erotic connection so if the conditions just need to be altered slightly for both people to get more out of that moment uh, then then it's so be it it's so funny how we don't even think of that as an option sometimes we're just like it's yes or no it's it's almost even once the the boundary starts you're not allowed to talk anymore yeah i i you know as we know in relationships it's all about communication and gosh i mean that fuels that fuels connection and even leaning into a term that I just kind of picked up is that radical communication, mm. right? Yeah. But you need to kind of set that that setting to be able to go there. Mm. Um, but I think that that's key so that people don't take everything so personally. It's just a matter of like coming closer together by really going there and creating that like honest environment and we touched on a key word that was so key for me that I I wanted to bring up with you is that philosophy of safety Mm -hmm. like the basic need of feeling safe safe in your body and sexuality has so much to do with 
either yes, feeling safe in your body or not feeling safe in your body. Absolutely. And, you know, either, sure, setting up the situation so that you feel safe, but that safety comes from your mind and that safety may have come from years ago or that feeling of not feeling safe, either, again, alone with your own body or with a partner. So I'm curious to know mm-hmm. how the idea of safety and how you bring that in to your your patients or your clients mm-hmm. and how far back you sometimes go to figure out where did that feeling of unsafe, you know, mm-hmm. tea <laughs> yeah. come from? Yeah. Where did it come from? And in order to feel safe today, we have to make that little girl who felt unsafe whenever she did feel safe. Beautiful, yeah. So how do you coach people to feel safe in their own body? And is it the current woman coaching their own smaller self? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, yes. Yeah, love that. Um, so, So many directions I could go with this. I'll tell you a little bit of a client um, that I've worked with just recently. Um, it was a beautiful couple client moment um, that they shared with me and we worked through. So um, what happened was they were, you know, they had just begun kissing and kind of getting into things. Um, some of her favorite moments, she said, were her favorite gestures were a part of it. You know, he sort of had her his hand, sort of his arm or forearm up the center of her back and had pulled her to him and it was going really well. She was getting very, you know, relaxed and excited and to, to be into it. Um, and at that moment, and they knew he was expecting a phone call, <laughs> unfortunately, that was sort of going to either make them really happy or disappoint them. And so at that moment, you know, about three minutes into sort of just just making out a little bit, they um, he answered his phone, phone rang. And right when, you know, a few seconds into the call, he he relays really strong disappointment. He just sort of said, he raises his voice and he says, he says, you got to be kidding me. Come on you know, really, really without, I'm mm-hmm. trying to not get away from that seductive thing you got going on here, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, but he, he relays really, em, em, you know, emphatic disappointment that makes her jump a little bit. And this is someone who does have, um, a, a trauma history. She, she feels herself very viscerally frightened easily. And so she jumps a little bit. And right in that moment, as soon as the, the fight or flight response sort of kicks in, you can guarantee that arousal has gone. And that's not the case for everyone, by the way. I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, pathologize in any sense that sometimes a little bit of that is, is also really hot. In that moment, it was not for her. And so when he hangs up and he goes, it's cool, we'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. You know, where were we? Mm. And she's somewhere else now. And she is afraid in that moment to let him know I'm not there anymore. Right. And <laughs> and so um you know, at the risk, right at that moment where he could have become disappointed and sort of pissed off and maybe, you know, oh, come on, really? Like, we never even have time, and which has happened in the past, of course. Um, they, she just sort of says, give me a little bit of time, okay? I want to get back into the mood. I need a little bit. Just, just give me some time. And right, right away he says, how about we lie down? I'll just, I'll just caress your back for, for a few minutes. We'll see how we do. And right there is the difference between mm. behaving from erotic empathy for one another and, and reestablishing the conditions to get back to where we're going 
yeah. versus reacting. So I even have this in the talk, um, the, the workshop I'm giving, you know, um, at the end of the month, I was telling you there's, I have that choice, that fork in the road. Do you react from fear and from disappointment? Or do you choose to respond with an empathic strategic response for what you want in the next little bit? And, and that was, it was very powerful. So they ended up, you know, caressing each other's backs. They, they talked a little bit about the phone call. And then as his hands started to, you know, he sees her, she's sort of closing her eyes a little bit and she's getting more into it. He, you know, he adds some pressure to the touch, you know, and maybe includes her lower back more type thing. And, and, and then she initiates the kissing and they're back to where they were. And it was a beautiful thing that they experienced. It was a huge moment. She says it was not a lost opportunity that in the past absolutely would have been. That's nice. And I like that you, you, you know, work on reestablishing that connection and how it's both of them. Because so often in that moment, that pressure can be on one person. Absolutely. Like you lost the mood, you fix it, you do yep. this yep. or whatever. Now I'm wondering for that kind of case, would you be interested in digging? Why is she mm -hmm. so jumpy? That's a uh, yes and no. Yeah. In the situation when I'm working with a couple who really want to see results and know what they've been through, they, she has done extensive work actually okay. in her past. And, and what I'm more concerned with in that moment is, um, for example, I think the, his complaint at the beginning of the work was something like, I just don't feel like I'm allowed to have any of my emotions. I feel like I have to bottle up everything so that she can remain comfortable with me. And she says, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm fragile with him. So he needs to stop assuming that it's his fault when she gets upset, but rather locate the feelings of difficulty in her body that they're both coping with. And that's just part of their equation. Like, that's just what's going on. You know, it's no different than, than you know, um, a gluten allergy in the couple mm -hmm. or a, you know, it's, you're not going to continuously get mad that your partner's not eating pasta with mm -hmm. you. You know, that's, it's just part of you. I'm curious. I, I feel there's a lot of blocks, like whether it's from traumatic experience or just in general. Like, I know that a lot of my clients have blocks around just opening up to being sensual even mm. like forget even eroticism yeah. you know like permission just to do permission that. to like express themselves or to go there with a partner alone like there's there's huge blocks around it and what comes up for most people when I ask is it's a fear of judgment from themselves from others so I'm curious if you have any advice on how to get beyond that point whether you're in a relationship or not mm -hmm. um like what you would yeah suggest. eroticism is very much about risk taking and that's why the safety piece is so important if your guards are down and you know arousal is only going to be as good as you feel safe first and foremost as your you know guard isn't up absolutely uh shame is part of every sexual person i always tell people that you don't have to have had trauma or abuse of any kind to have a shame response people feel ashamed as soon as anything sexual comes up that, again, the kissing scene on the television when you're in the living room with your grandmother, that's shame. I know. Yeah. That's just shame. So it's the assumption that you don't want her to think about you as a sexual person. You don't want to think about her as a sexual person. It's just everybody should not see <laughs> any of the things. And that's, you know, that plays into why the lights have to be off uh, for the average person to get into it. Right. Not a bad thing, by the way. You know, nobody necessarily wants to be aware of their hair follicles and, you know, and, and skin imperfections or whatever. It helps. But there are shame is at the core of this. So how do we tackle risk? You're going to say. 
I was going to say, here, you, you go and then I'll come back to this in terms of physical body stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah oh yeah, yeah physical, sure. Um, how do you tackle risks? I actually encourage couples to have a very boundaried, like not an extent, it doesn't have to be a four hour conversation, but just saying something like, I've been thinking I really want to try this or I'd really love to be able to do, let's say I had a, a woman, for example, who really, really wanted to be able to have sex while on top and just with her physical body, she didn't like the sensation of her stomach sort of being larger than it used to be uh, and things like that. And she really wanted to feel sexy and courageous in that position. And so she had a you know brief but very clear conversation with her partner about what she would need from them for that to be helped along. And she's going to do it. She's going to, you know, she wants that sensation, but you know, she's going to need a lot of that firm grabbing of her thighs and like really encouraging her to feel regal up there. You know, she's going to need some of that encouragement and it's okay. I want to say this, like yell this from the rooftops. It is okay to request reassurance from the person with whom you want to feel brave. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Asking. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, so it's so simple. Like, right, it's so simple. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. I had um, like the idea of fear, how it expresses itself in symptomatic forms and the idea of shame and how that creates a disconnection with any part of your body. Right. And even for me, I've gone to see, you know, pelvic floor physios. Mm-hmm. I've had some, you know, I, I have a something going on with my hip for many years. So I've seen a lot of different practitioners who work on that kind of area, mm-hmm. internal, external. And lately at my latest osteopath appointment, he was working on a certain area in that region and you know, he's like, what? He, he wanted me to express how I felt. And I couldn't. I just, like, a tear came down my eye. I couldn't verbalize it, but the only word that I had in my head was shame. And he was just working on a certain area, and it was like, mm. shame. And, and, I, and then he said, you know, he's working on it. He's, like, feeling, you know, the muscle tension. And he's like, send light light there send light you know visualize love light everything so I'm doing that and he feels the difference and um and understanding how shame and fear will manifest itself physically absolutely physically and how you know your physical your emotional Mm -hmm. your mental wellness are one and so for practitioners to really get so compartmentalized um, you know, it's, I, I, we, we, we can't recreate the system, but then mm. it's just up to each and every single person to understand how, okay, well, if they're going to see one kind of therapist mm-hmm. that really focuses on one of those mm-hmm. tiers, well, then I'm going to have to see somebody else and somebody else and then connect the dots for all of them if there's not one person that's providing right. me, um, so I just like, I'm, I'm really passionate right now in my own personal healing journey of really understanding how those three parts of us are really one and how, you know, okay, if you have a physical ailment, start to think of it on how can I even emotionally heal it or where, you know, and you hear all these stories about people who will feel it just like leave their body or move to their shoulder or, you know, there's so much and like there's so much out there I find nowadays too that are a little more mainstream thanks to podcasts and you know 
people sharing their stories and we, we learn so much through storytelling and also we feel so connected through storytelling to think, oh my gosh, I never thought about you know, it that way or oh my God, shame, whoa, okay, that thing happened when I was six. I didn't realize that I was possibly holding that in my physical body, that shameful mm-hmm. experience until I'm 36, you know? Um, so I just, like I, I appreciate what you do for people to help them connect their mind and their body and you know their emotional wellness and their physical wellness um, and their and t- to live a healthy um, sexual life sexuality without shame um, but but how do we even get beyond that I know there's yeah. like the vulnerability there's the but like sometimes in the moment you lose your voice yes. you yes. know Absolutely. and that's been something like personally like I feel like if I mean, looking back, it can be like I probably just wasn't comfortable and I didn't have the, yeah. ni- the right connection and intimacy with that person to allow myself to speak up. But like, obviously, it's like baby steps and you have to get there. But like, how do we like overcome that block? I think we have a, like, especially women, like our throat chakras. Yes. We're so like, well, that's stuck. it in that moment, too. I felt it then in my yeah, throat same on too, the osteopath bed. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's very real. I relate very much to everything you're saying um, on behalf of not only my clients. I mean, obviously, I'm very present with you as you're saying that. And without a doubt, um, you know, the ability to assert oneself at any point on the timeline, so it doesn't have to be in the moment, mm. uh, is an important reminder, I think. So, you know, I do encourage people, it doesn't matter sometimes if it's two years later, and you want to tell somebody, by the way, the reason I left the room or the reason I never called you, uh, back again is not because you weren't appealing to me, but because I could not have asserted what I needed to tell you at that time. That can be tremendously therapeutic <laughs> for everyone involved. I've had clients who say, I know this is weird, but I want to send somebody that I ghosted, you know, eight months mm-hmm. ago, uh, an email or something or send a message. And I say, do it. What do you have to lose? Absolutely nothing. And it's for you at the yeah. end of the day, right? Like hundred percent. You, you do want to maybe apologize sometimes to the other person or explain yourself, mm-hmm. but it's getting, it's being able to use your voice. The more you do it, like that's part of, that's been such a big part of my journey. Like I used to be so terrified of speaking up, like not like sexual actually was like not even a thing like I never even spoke up yeah. before but through like sharing on Instagram and, t- and sharing these stories of how this podcast started basically was about using our voices and I think that's uh, yeah. it's like the hardest thing and then put it, that in a sexual context it's even like there's like so yeah. much so many layers to that I think that's so that's the first thing that the most in the most practical tip kind of way is just because something happened last week or whatever in your relationship and you'd like to talk about it, you may want to actually put it in writing. I've had people who in the moment with their partners of however many years, it could be early, it could be later on in the relationship, um, will take out a pen and write down, you know, I'm scared. You think I'm, you know, I don't taste good. Mm. And that's why I can't get into oral sex. Or I'm scared that, you know, because somebody once said something to me in high school about, you know, uh, let's say how wet, like there was somebody who was telling me how, that they were mocked by a high school um, a peer for being wet when they hooked up and they went around telling everybody that. 
And so they've had insecurity oh, yeah. about their, their, you know, vaginal moisture. <laughs> the, the gift of vaginal moisture right? was no, mocked like... in high school. So there's, it's been an insecurity. And so, you know, forget squirting, for example, or the, you know, the infamous female ejaculation was, is mortifying for this person and they're able to, and the, you know, it happens for them, but they have avoided really getting aroused. They hold back. Think about holding. That's what made me think of this. When you talk about holding tension in the body, for example, it's about holding back. It's holding something that you're afraid to put out into the world. It's, it's about feeling like you're too much or that you won't be handled or you won't be welcomed in whatever capacity. And so you hold back, you physically hold tension. And, and that's something that, you know, we know causes all kinds of stuff, right? Vaginismus, the, the diagnosis, vaginismus, which is a involuntary muscular clenching of the vagina, that vaginal muscles that can um, in, uh, d- completely inhibit the capacity for penetration. Literally, women say he can't get in, you know, or they can't in, they can't like use tampons. Freak. Yeah, yeah, they mm-hmm. and they feel like what's wrong with me? I can't mm-hmm. have sex. Mm-hmm. And as women, mm-hmm. well, if we're not even useful sexually, you know, you're it's a terrible confidence. Um, uh, it's a terrible bruising of the confidence. That stuff that has to do with shame, with holding back, with with all of that. Exactly. And knowing that it comes from up here. (laughs) So it might be, you know, expressing itself somewhere in your body, but you need to find out what the root cause is and really dig either by journaling, asking yourself the questions or reaching out to professionals like you, finding that safe place where it's judgment free. Um, You know, even sometimes when we write, you're like judging yourself or you're holding back Mm. even when you write. So it's a, you know, it's important that maybe even if you have a journal, maybe you have two and one is like the no hold back journal and then maybe that becomes (laughs) your only journal. But you know, if you need to kind of label it as something that feels super free, super safe, um, to just let, let it go. And when you're tight like that, you know, it's, it's like you're bracing for impact. Like your body is, is, giving you that like yes. sign like something's coming or something happened you know but I, I've I found that a lot of the time my body has been speaking to me in those moments and I didn't actually listen like I was like oh like just ignore that like I feel like I would get tense and or like in fight or flight and I'd be like whatever like I mean just overlook it you know and then and then you're betraying yourself by doing that because because yes. I think in our culture too we think like oh, like, this is the flow of how things go on a date or on this. Like, oh, we've dated this many times. Now this is happening. So that's just what's next, you know? And we don't really honor our body's reaction Mm -hmm. also to the people that we're with. Like, I've learned recently, it's really been about trusting that feeling. Like, I'll get jaw tension. Like, Mm -hmm. I'll get... Grinding. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, it'll be really, like, I I was dating this guy and, like, every time we would be, like, making out, I'd be like, oh, my God, I have, like, like, if it was going to go further, like, I would get so much tension in my whole body. And, like, I I think there's really something about also trusting that, like, alarm system in a way or, like, working gently with it. I don't know. Like, to me, it's been, like, taking those, like, baby steps. Yeah. Well, the reminder that's at at its core, you know, right at the heart of erotic empathy is the idea that, um, put it this way, after 10 years of taking sexual histories, I have never heard somebody actually say, well, you know, I, I, I just thought I'd be nice to her. And so we had sex. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> so if somebody's hooking up with you, like dear audience, <laughs> if somebody's hooking up with you, they are really grateful that there is a f- naked person in front of them. Yeah. They really are imperfections and all, but they are more focused on the sensations internally that they're experiencing and how the journey of their own sexuality that they're on 
chances are, than they are worrying about, or they are judging anything that you're judging about yourself. Yeah. And having that, 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 that ability to empathize with the fact that if a person is there hooking up with you, if they're choosing to have a sexual encounter with another human being, all the risks involved and everything, and their pride at risk, even, they want to be there. And so the tension that you're feeling is about the fact that you expect to have to be adequate and just being there, you are adequate and you'll work through whatever kinks, you know, (laughs) know, you'll work through, (laughs) you'll work through whatever you need to work through. You'll say like, Ooh, I really want to try something different next time. Or like, I think next time I'm going to encourage you to, you know, I need more tongue pressure, less speed, you know, or Mm. whatever it is. And by the way, this therapy totally does put those phrases in your brain that we don't have (laughs) sexual assertiveness is not built into women. So, right. So we don't have those statements in in our, in our back pocket. Oh, I really like a flatter tongue and a little bit slower. Or if you could go tip of the tongue and do swirly things, we don't have that lingo. So when I say things like that in session, that's the stuff people are often writing down. I like how you phrase that. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. (laughs) That ability to give feedback. And like that, uh, like, I think that's the key here is I think a lot of women want to explore things and want more like sexually, like enriching, like sexual experiences. And it's how do we build that erotic confidence? Right. 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 Absolutely. It's, it's, I guess it is with the languaging and like becoming comfortable Absolutely. with that. Read, you, read erotica, read tons yeah. of stuff, but even there it's often painting the picture and it's not necessarily giving the, the kindly articulated feedback, right. the sandwich method, right? Say something good, say something that needs improvement, right. say something good. You, know, you kind yeah. of want to, um, or just one thing yeah. that I found quite helpful is like practicing alone to just like learn how to say those things. Cause a lot Post-its of the time on the bathroom mirror, yeah, because like <laughs> we're, we're not even comfortable. Like actually for me, uh, it's all like throat chakra stuff. So I'm like, you know, like practice actually just saying things that make me uncomfortable on my own first, because it's like when you're around someone else, you kind of have stage fright and you're like, oh, I've never said this before. I'm going to say it for the first time in front of someone else. Wow. You know? Yes. I feel uh, all my work is around like doing things alone, like with yourself first, getting comfortable there and then going out into the world right. and kind of experiencing it in that way and sharing it with others once you feel kind of safe with yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, mm. that's been something that's, that's so great. And when you say throat chakras, that's not, you know, I'm not familiar <laughs> with that kind of stuff, but I know I totally hear that blockage. I know mm. what you're referring to and how painful it can be to feel that you're in the, that you're literally in the moment of betraying yourself, but you can't quite break through it. And, and I think that's, uh, it is helpful to have some of those conversations before you're being intimate and not expect to do it during intimacy because that negative self-talk that we've been, we've internalized as women tells us that once it's begun, you're ruining it if you speak up or if you say something, or we're afraid of giving men feedback for fear of being unappealing. And yet we will ultimately be so appealing if we help them feel masterful with us. Yeah. They love sexually. I, you're so you're the best I've ever been with is what everybody wants to hear. Right. So the way to get there is to actually help them customize what they're doing to be with you. Mm. Because particularly women who are, have reached, you know, late twenties, thirties, we know our bodies better than anybody else does. We've had more orgasms on our own than we've ever had with partners. And so we have to be able to articulate what works for us because it is not a copy paste situation. And that, you know, just feeling grateful, you know, that they're willing to go down on us or something because we wouldn't want to go down on us does is not helpful. That's so <laughs> you know, funny. I never thought about it right, that if way. You, you know, if you're not you by... You need to remove a few ribs. <laughs> <laughs> if we were...
you're not if you're not bi as a woman yeah. then you probably have some difficulty with erotic mm. empathy when mm. it comes to a man really being able to enjoy your body right and you know the the true um sort of manifestations that be when you're sexual so if you're yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it took me so long to like enjoy that. Like right. I feel like I remember like how old I was, like when cuz I, I I would just be like I don't get it. I feel nothing. You yeah. know? Like yeah. I would just be completely blocked, like shut down. Like my yep. But it wasn't even like, oh, this is weird. I just didn't feel anything. It's, and I I think yeah. that yeah, I'm thinking of a, a number of personal experiences. <laughs> um and so two two phases of life. One I think is when we give our body away. And in that moment, it might not even feel like your body. And it doesn't even have to be this extreme traumatic experience like out of body where it's almost like coping to, to just survive in that moment. But even if it's just like, you know, mm. consensual, um, it, 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 until you feel like you really own your own body, you might not even realize that it's yours that you've given away, you know? And so you have these hookups, you have these things. It's like, I think that we've both gotten to that point of our lives where we used to give it yeah. away more easily. And then you get to a point that it becomes this like sacred ground, mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. really, really sacred. We were giving it away in hopes we would be received. Yeah. Mm. And that the give was not mutual in the sense that we were most often... Ex there was a social sexual capital. Remember, I mentioned yes. that. Yes, social sexual <laughs> social sexual capital. That term I use for for the reasons more often than not, wi younger women. Um, I don't know what the age range is on that. It's changing probably, but <laughs> let's just call it under thirty. the The reasons women have sex are different from the reasons men have sex, and that blatant uh, lack of acceptance for oneself as good enough yeah. is at the core of it. Yeah. So if we're having sex in hopes of being, you know, allowed to, to think of ourselves as hot enough, good enough, worthy of attention, validated. being chosen, validated, whatever you want to call it, then you were not having sex for erotic reasons. Yeah. It wasn't about pleasure. No. And now I would say, more, thank goodness, more often than not, <laughs> younger women are having sex for pleasure. They're not expecting that useless fingering we all tolerated in high school. <laughs> you know, it, they're not. They're, they're saying, like, what are you doing? That's weird. Or can I bring my vibrator? And or real things that expect, you know, women need to expect erotic ex sexual experiences to be erotic experiences. So let's def let's talk define about the difference. That. The okay. difference between sexuality and eroticism, because that was a very big kind of aha moment, I think, when oh. people... I think people think that sometimes it's the same thing or eroticism seems so far-fetched. Like I had said, it's, it sounds like something artistic, like something out of reach. Just salacious you know? and for someone like else. For like fancy people or something, <laughs> you know? Like you, you're what like, do you how mean? do I'm I not be? Fancy? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like not, it's not something that you'll have, like that you can experience every day, but then I, I think it's, I, it could actually yes. be something that you experience every day. Okay, so, so very simply, yeah. sexuality is a word I use, I, I describe as a medical word. Right. It can, it, it's a word that you'll find in medical textbooks, right? Um, sexuality, which refers to the functioning of the sexual um, faculties of the body. So it usually connotes functionality, function to dysfunction range, and usually refers to one body. The sexuality of a person, refer we think of one, you know, reproductive system or one um, anatomical set of functions in a person. Erotic 
very distinctly is interpersonal sexuality. So it is, it's about, it's the eroticism is, um, or actually the word eros comes from, you know, that vitality, that energy flow that evokes desire. And so it's the flow of desire, of desirability between a, a, an object and a subject or between, Mm. um, between two people or between a person and something they find to evoke desire. Okay, right. And that's when we talked about autophilia, mm-hmm. which I was obsessed yes. with because that's the whole premise of what I do with the selfies is for self-love and totally. stuff like that to kind of like create that intimacy with yourself, that romance. So autophilia is uh, sexual attraction to yourself? Yes, the, the ability to, you know, it's sort of, um, how do you define that? I'm, I don't want to be too clinical, but the autophilia <laughs> is, you know, the appeal of oneself as a sexual person. Uh, so... Uh, I had given you the example, for example, uh, autogonophilia, right? When people are attracted to themselves as a woman, if they're not born male, woman, mm-hmm. if they're not woman bodied um, from birth, you know, they, they might be aroused as themselves dressed as a woman, for example, is autogynophilia, right? right? Autophilia is just aroused by yourself as a sexual person. And I think I, I was telling you how there's got to be enough buy-in from a woman in order to relax into erotic empathy. There's to be a little bit of this oh yeah, no, I, I get it. I could get why he would be turned on by me. Okay. Like, you know, you got to be able to, and that's one of the reasons we all, you know, the people who feel, I should not say we all, we do not all, <laughs> um, shave our legs or armpits or things like that is we're more likely to buy into this subscribed, you yeah. know, socialized version of ourselves as attractive if we do the things. Right. And I think it's also, when you were saying that, I was like, visualizing the kind of ritual that yeah. I put into do to preparing myself for something like right. this. You know, um, I talk about selfies a lot and, uh, kind of creating a ritual around that mm. lingerie selfies and incorporating lingerie and how you look and engaging your senses in different ways and like building up this like romantic kind of energy with yourself because you become the turn on. And at that point, I think a lot of women struggle with like, Oh, if they're not turned on or they're not, you know, for me, it's like the whole ritual around it really does help that. So foreplay. It's foreplay, but and like foreplay it is starts not, with you. It's right. Like, foreplay, right? I, I think foreplay, I used to have a, a little thing that I wrote about that basically says, um, you know, foreplay, is, if you're starting at the genitals, you're doing it wrong. You know, it really is around the context prior to any sexual interaction. And and how it's so important to uh, to indulge oneself with with choosing to be to begin feeling erotic before you start being sexual or sec- being erotic because um, without a doubt lingerie is not necessarily for the partners you know with whom you're, it's it's not it's for your buy-in yeah. to your exactly. capacity to be turned on the, the believability of your desirability in that moment yeah it's like how you view yourself yeah. and. Yeah, there's such a connection between eroticism and sensuality as well, because sensuality is being in the moment and in, engaged with your senses. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's just very interesting that, like to me, sexuality is kind of like it's it's not even it's there, but it's like this this triangle, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like a little bit the aftermath of those things, right? And like that gets you to yeah, eroticism to is not necessarily sexual. Exactly, and we, we all know sexuality is not necessarily erotic. <laughs> I love how uh, the topic of erotic empathy, I'm just really thinking about it in a, with a self-love spin. So erotic mm. empathy, yes, it's you know an empathic perspective in an erotic connection. So of course we can take the idea of a couple, two people, and maybe let's say the 
woman, you know, she feels more attractive when she has her lashes on and her hair done and her spray tan and all like the aesthetic things. And, you know, when she doesn't have that, she can't believe that she would be, mm -hmm. you know, a, a she, turn on. She, she'd be a turn on. It's like, no, I can't. It's like, yep. baby, I love you. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but then in that, in that, you know, you flip it on yourself and trying to lean into finding yourself. It comes down to like worthiness. Yes. And an, an, yes. in an uh, erotic situation, but like it really, really, really the root is really self love and really compassion and empathy for oneself. And, you know, so maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to buy this lingerie because I think I have to. You put it on and you yeah. still feel silly. Feel you're foolish. Still, you put it on, you take it you off. You feel yeah. foolish. Yeah. You're looking at all your imperfections. You're like, why did I do this? You feel even worse. You Absolutely. go eat the bin of ice cream. You, you know, so it's really like catching yourself in that moment, holding yourself and then figuring out what you need to do to stand in your worth and to be mm. able to see yourself in that light. But what I love about this is that you could also allow yourself to just be turned on by being the turn on for someone else. Like yeah. that's the beauty of it is like, Oh, like you still find me attractive like this, like whatever natural state you're in. And then you're like, I don't know for me seeing someone turned on by me, like that turns me on and yeah. it's, and it's, it's powerful. that's proven. Right? It's that is powerful. proven. Right. Yeah. And you're just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like yeah. it switches something. So there is something beautiful about that exchange and yeah. it not just being, because I know self love, I'm always talking about it. And like, I, I think it doesn't have to fully, you don't have to fully have No, it you don't have to, you don't yeah. have to be full, full, full. It's yeah. nice to like have some, have that. you don't necessarily, like we've talked yeah. about, need to 110% love yourself all the time in order for someone else to love you. That's one of the things that's actually one of the, the biggest pieces of erotic empathy is specifically from a clinical standpoint is getting away from this garbage notion that you have to love yourself in order to be lovable. Mm. And I think that's a thing that we're all, we, we see on every meme, you know, yeah. is, you know, in order to really love in order to be love uh no in order to really you know be in a loving relationship you have to love yourself and you have to really buy in you have to well whatever that's just but it's that's so not also true because that's that's forcing you to be perfect before you can have the things that you it's like forcing to, you, that you to have think to, you're perfect exactly. you probably are exactly the way you exactly are. the way you it, are or deserving you know there's that's this right. idea of like oh i have to deserve the love of other people yes. and i have to earn it and like that's no you're deserving of love as you you're are able now. we are all able to switch perspective and allow somebody else the reality of finding us attractive and just find it arousing and go with it and really be able to relax into just the fact that however, even though I don't agree with, <laughs> let me do the carrot cake thing. Yes. yes okay. Yes, so yes. carrot cake, the article, <laughs> this is an article. If you want to Google this, anybody's listening. Um, I am carrot cake. A lesson in erotic empathy was an, a little medium blog that I wrote a couple of years ago, um, which started sort of the online focus on this, on this uh, concept. I wrote it because my husband loves carrot cake. I do not. I actually, <laughs> I often say, I would say keep vegetables the hell out of my dessert. <laughs> I'm not into it, but I, I, I will find it for him, buy it for him, make it for him. Um, and, and absolutely watch him enjoy it. And it is not up to me to tell him that he shouldn't like it because I don't. So I am carrot cake. I do not necessarily find myself to be appealing all the time, but who am I to tell him he should not find me appealing or withhold myself from him because I can't necessarily view consuming me in the same way that he deliciously would want to. And that's, that's something that 
it, it sort of illuminated this idea. Who are we to tell our partners who we desire not to desire us because we're having trouble doing so? And, and I think that's, it's just, you and know. You can learn to love yeah. yourself through someone else's love of you. You can learn to feel love feel it, yeah. from someone else and allow it to inf- gently inform your lovability. Mm, that's so beautiful. Just let yourself feel loved is the greatest, most healing thing. You don't have to believe. Con- like, these are two different things. Just This is cognitions versus emotions. Mm-hmm. You don't have to believe you're lovable to be lovable. You could feel that you're lovable. Too. And that's so much more powerful than your thoughts. Like to feel it in your body. That's you can't d- disagree yeah. with yeah. when you when you feel somebody wants you. You can't disagree with that. You know, and that's this. This plays into a lot of a lot of pathways to access um, yes. pain in in people yes. who are battling this sort of stuff. Like internal dialogue, um, generally. Like you were saying, that voice in your head that says. Um, you know, just, just like, shush, just keep going or whatever. Like, don't listen to that thing that you're picking up on in your body. The internal dialogue is a presentation actually, again, maybe four years ago now, um, in Quebec city, there's a conference called, um, Canadian sex research forum, the CSRF. Uh, I presented on, um, something called uh, a talk I wrote, what was it called? Internal dialogue um, as a secondary sexual trauma. So the lessons that we've ingrained in ourselves that are toxic to our ability to enjoy eroticism actually becomes sort of like a secondary sexual trauma. It might be reminiscent of an abusive past partner or parental shaming of sex or, you know, just negativity around not having had any experiences through high school or college, being a late bloomer, whatever you want to call it any negativity that comes back to haunt you during your, your present moment experiences are almost like a re-triggering or almost they Mm -hmm. they should be experienced with the empathy that you would give someone who's thinking of past, you know, pain, Uh, even though it's just our self-talk. So that self-talk, that internal dialogue can really be something that's first of all, very workable in therapy. And triggers are, you, you shouldn't let any trigger go by triggers are opportunities right Mm -hmm. and we get them and we get them and we get them and we're so good at getting triggered and just like we're so good at feeling that kind of tension but then what do we do about it and it comes back to what we've talked about is learning that dialogue learning to speak that body language learning to not just feel and hear those those triggers and that tension but to figure out where they're coming from um, so it's, I mean, this, this whole dialogue and talk, I just, it's so important for everyone to listen to both sides of the couple, right? Because you could have like a cheerleader for this, but the other person still doesn't really get it. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. It's it comes down like what I'm getting from it is also like, like, like what we spoke to about at the beginning, this idea of safety within the relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that you, it's taking that risk of communicating and being vulnerable and opening up about things that maybe are shameful or are difficult to speak about. But how do you do that? You have to be in a, with a person or in an environment that feels safe. So I'm actually curious about your take on, on monogamy then, you know, well, well, actually before you go (laughs) there, I do want to go there before you go there, just the idea of consent. I always feel like I have to say this when the word consent comes up It's such a powerful social media movement around consent. And it's such a tremendously important concept that, enthusiastic consent is the only way to begin an encounter. 
but well, maybe not, but, and, <laughs> um, I'm careful with consent because when someone gives consent, that's a power dynamic right there. It means one person is allowing somebody else permission, right? To give consent. You don't often talk about somebody taking or hearing consent. We talk about giving consent, which is putting the responsibility on the could be victim or the person who's probably the receiver of penetration in that interaction. Mm. Right. And consent to me from a place when we're thinking from erotic mutuality, right. That uh, we're really looking at mutually evoked desire to me, consent sounds like permission and permission's really bare minimum when we're talking, when we're, when you think about eroticism, if you think about the best sex you've ever had, like if you really just think about like the most delicious, you know, lost in it, um, just, you know, beautifully exhausting <laughs> interaction you had sexually <laughs> chances are the experience of giving consent was sort of like ridiculous because it you was, were so present yeah. it wasn't something that you had to distinctly give it was something that you were both in and i don't want to negate this is sort of i know i'm walking a funny line uh, you know yeah. i don't want to say that you shouldn't give consent that is not what i'm getting at i'm sure um, what i'm saying is nobody should ever be furthering a sexual interaction in which they are not absolutely blown away by the desire they feel from the other person. Mm-hmm. I mean, there should be grabbing and, you know, deliciousness and, and both of both people should really be present and excited to continue. It doesn't matter how many years you've been married. It doesn't matter how many dates you've, you've been on or, you know, it, it consent shouldn't feel like permission. The beginning of a sexual encounter shouldn't yeah. feel like you sure you want to. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. That's not what it should feel like. Not no, if it's I erotic. Like, I like the idea of like consent as a tool to start a conversation or just like talk about things. Cause I feel like it's an, it's an opening of a door to be like, Oh, like what do you like to just like see where I love it goes, that. It's verbal. Know? It sounds like yeah. a discussion, yeah. but it's not the thing you necessarily go by to begin the physical yeah. sexual moment. Yeah. You're not just like, Hey, okay. So do you consent to me? To yes. Ch- may like- I enter? <laughs> Gee, that's hot. You know, <laughs> not, not going to do it. Although I've had a guy who was like, who kind of said it in a really hot way. He's like, may I? And I was like, yes. well, okay, maybe there's <laughs> yeah. cute, but if it's sort of distant, it's sort of awkward and, and you're not, chances are you're yeah. not going to be turned on. No, I think it's also it. like the delivery of it. And and it was like a, it was like a consent was culture did he, like, did he like tip and roll his yeah, hat was at the elegant. same time? And he like curtsies? No, like... it was. <laughs> am I really getting into this? I like it. Um, Were there doilies involved? No, it was not. It was not fancy at all. It was. Uh, he kissed your hand and then no. he asked if he could enter. <laughs> I think the contrast, what was what was so hot about it was that he was very like wild in every other respect. But uh, but then gentle. But then gentle, and then the consent was, okay, was that Burning Man? <laughs> okay, so it was like consent <laughs> culture. So consent was, culture. So that's yeah. a big part of the, the Burning Man experience, mm-hmm. and it was like so it was kind of done in a way that it didn't sound. It wasn't out of context. It wasn't weird. It wasn't formal. So it was very like a, it was part of the foreplay. Yeah, in I a mean sense, the thing is know? about these these moments where you have like you might because. And this is something that you learn as you get wiser, um, is that there's you never reach the point where you can't 
turn back or can't say no, right? Correct. And sometimes right. we get into these moments, maybe when you're younger, no matter how far they go, but you feel like you've reached a certain point. So that like contracts got to go down. Um, right. Once I've begun, I can't turn back now because then I'm going to be a tease or one yeah. of those terrible. Oh, yeah. That's a, Again, that right there is a great example of an internal narrative. Yes. And that traumatizes you. I find yeah. to like to like re recreate that circumstance. Yeah. You over get stuck, and over. stuck, stuck, and then you're up here. Ugh. Um, and you know the ego gets so involved, and so I find that if you're on the receiving end of the no, I've had enough. People like rightfully so in that moment, you can take it so personally, you know, it's really, it's a hard gear to shift from like, what to like erotic empathy, you know? Um, but I think that that's just also a reflection on really choosing your partners wisely, you know, and choosing the person that you're with so that in, in that moment, people aren't taking it so personally. It's like, okay, what's up? Let's talk about it. Um, and feeling like you can stand in your power up until any point. And I had an awkward situation where I was on a trip and somebody, you know, I was thousands and thousands of miles away and someone even took a plane to see me and hotel and you name it and all the fancy things. And when I got there, I just realized like I, I, I didn't, didn't want anything it. to happen. And that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of pressure. And it was like, yeah, I also thought that this was going to go down, but I'm not feeling it. And I felt really like in that moment, talk about body. It was like lockdown. Um, so I listened to my body and I was like, no matter how, like I, I felt shame and you knew that you'd have some kind of like repercussion in terms of that person making you feel bad. Right. For, sure. for days. And I was calling my friend the most expensive phone call, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, just like, help, help. Um, tell me that I'm not crazy. Tell me that I'm an okay it's, person. It's, it's tell me that, that I'm you, not. You listen you to know? your body, my God, and you listen to yourself because it's so hard in that situation. I feel like you're like, oh, well, like I asked for not I asked for it, but like I asked him to come or he came. He did all this and these expectations and you feel that pressure and you start telling yourself stories. Yeah. So it was two yeah. days of feeling awkward. Uh, versus hmm. potential months and years of feeling shame that I gave up my body in that moment. So, you it's know, it's definitely, I would say unfortunate. This is unfortunately, as I say this, this is true. It's unfortunately easier for a lot of women in, in a lot of women's experience to just get it over with kind yeah. of thing. And, and that does have longer repercussions, but it's easier because of the, the straight up fear factor, right? We genuinely don't trust that. Um, unfortunately at times a, a male reaction to being rejected is going to be a safe reaction. I know. And we've exactly. both made yeah. the decision to go the other way thinking of that e exact thing. It's like, yeah. is your safety in line? And it's just so crazy to think of. Yeah. Right. The, the, you know, the middle reaction, so to speak, is to say, I can't say I'm feeling it right now. And I want, I, I, I might need a few things to change in order for me to think it's a possibility. Yeah. Starting with you. And, <laughs> you know, or sort of <laughs> switch, do some, you know, yeah. do you know mm -hmm. what was, the, what the turnoff was? Do you know what the, <laughs> was there Let's something distinct? Us. How long is this podcast? <laughs> um, it was that I could see that he just like felt really cool about himself and everything was like ego. And he was just like, I'm the big shot, cool guy. And, and just like it didn't feel authentic and 
all of a sudden, like the switch was in my head. He's always been like this and mm. it was always well received. Like, oh, he's taking care of me. Oh, he thought of this. Oh, that's a nice person. Oh, the that's nice so things that he brings me to. And then yeah. all of a sudden something switched in my head and I saw that he, he just saw me in the, the way that he was reflecting me was not actually me. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that he didn't see the real me. And so then the real me decided to say no. I love that actually, because what you did was you, well, well to bring up the social sexual mm-hmm. capital thing at first, the egotistical cool guy seems like the guy we want to like us. Mm-hmm. And then we <laughs> realized that that the way he, <laughs> the way he might like you was, um, had vibes of conquest, not desire. Yeah. So you'd be like, you know, he's thinking, yeah, I could do that. I can fly to this woman. Mm-hmm. She's hot. I would do this. But it could have been anybody in the context of your exciting travels and yes. the venture of it all. It was the context you were in, not necessarily you personally. And so your personhood was absent from from that interaction. And that would have felt like you were dissociative from your body, that you were going to be letting him enjoy your body while you present didn't feel mm-hmm. appreciated or truly important mm-hmm. you know you felt like you could have been anyone anonymity actually mm-hmm. is feeling anonymous in the situation is is synonymous with erotic disconnection you have to feel like it's you to feel mm. connected erotically yes i've said that you know the hottest <laughs> term of endearment what's the hottest term of endearment my during sex people will not agree with me on this and that's fine but i'm just saying i think it's according to my office it's true i often ask people what is super hot that a man can call you in bed as a woman by your name your name <laughs> that is correct yeah, i, I love it when in a guy fa- says my name i'm like mm-hmm, tell me more <laughs> Because I'll tell you, it has changed things. It has absolutely changed things. Women have told me countless times, I can't stand when he just like baby babies me in bed because I feel like he's done that with every woman mm. he's been with before me. Oh, I'm having so <laughs> many moments. Um, yeah, big, big time. And I, I, somebody that I've been talking to recently have actually felt like, because he jumped into this dialogue and this treatment with everybody. And you want to be present and feel it. But part of me wants to be like, okay, um, how fast did you get to this baby stage? You know, right. like I was your baby on day one, but right. I wasn't like, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I think that had, let's say the narrative, because, you know, there's that erotic narrative in your, mm-hmm. in every relationship. Too. This is another, I think, really important concept I use a lot in my work. There's the sexual script, the stuff you actually do in bed. So the sexual script is the behaviors that flow in the, which to be, you know, you start, you kiss, you fondle, you, you know, maybe oral and then intercourse. And, you know, if that's the center, you know, the thing that we all unfortunately revolve our sex lives around. And then hopefully you got you know, we're continued to be pleasured afterwards. Maybe, maybe not. Um, and then you wrap up and that's the sexual script. Let's say in a classic het relationship sense. Um, and erotic narrative is very different. Erotic narrative is the story that your sex told you about the roles you each play to one another. It's, it's what makes it hot. Erotic narratives are actually what porn gives us. Why is porn kind of an easy turn on? It's because it gives you a story. You know, whether it's a pizza delivery guy or the stepsister or whatever you need, I don't know. But it gives you a context as to why it's hot. 
to be aroused? Why is this actually a turn on? What's the taboo here that's going to click arousal on for most people? And in our daily interactions with our own sexual lives, we don't often put in a storyline. We don't often establish a role play or a context. So that's why the, the him flying to you, for example, this grand gesture of you are worth this this burden, so to speak, mm-hmm. was maybe a turn on. And then when he got there, you didn't feel it was about you. He didn't arrive there saying, man, it's good to get here. And mm. it's, it's familiar you. Like, how magical is that? We're in a random part of the world. And, and here you are. It's just us. Like, he didn't personalize it enough. There must have been something there that made you feel like you could have been anyone. Yeah, exactly. I, I And I'm like, I love that, <laughs> that you labeled it as anonymity, because that's that's... That's huge. So thank you. And I'm sure that people listening will like some of them will have some aha moments and that on the flip side, that could also serve arousal. So here at I am feeling disconnected by it, but depending on what sexual stage you're at in your life and your day and your whatever your needs, that could actually be fun and turn you on and to be this anonymous, doesn't matter who person, Yeah. but that's like, that's yeah, that could be freeing. That's so true. It could be sort of like liberating to be like uh, that. You're I'm not, Anyone. You know, that Amanda yeah. is not actually being yeah. evaluated right now as Amanda yeah. in totality. Yeah. I'm just here to have fun. Like, I'm yeah. just, this body is going to do its thing, let's say. So it could yeah. serve you, but it just depends on what state you're at. Right, right. Yeah. I think that's really, that's important. And you should never judge, you know, exactly. have erotic empathy for mm-hmm. where, whichever end of the spectrum you are on that. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you feel one range of reaction is something you should be having and you're having the other. For example, the woman who, who, you know, needed to hold back because um, she became frightened when her husband raised his voice is also this very same person who the next day might, in masturbation, think of him getting angry and get really turned on because his masculinity at the end of the day arouses her. But without the context of feeling frightened, Mm. right, it served its purpose. So that, by the way, is the follow-up to that story is that Mm. it does not necessarily... Um, end there but the with the context of the stimuli changes and then so does the reaction in the body so even the him flying to you for example might have been arousing at a later thought at a different time because that's pretty cool that happened to you in another life <laughs> maybe not all right a little optimism hundreds there. thousands of years i'll like have some kind of reincarnation and be down with it but um but with valentine's day coming up it's like love it, hate it, Hallmark, whatever. Um, I think that it's just a fun opportunity to either like to embrace it in your own way. Just like birthdays, New Year's, you don't have to buy into what you know the mainstream culture is yeah. telling you. I always have like a self-love date. Yeah, you don't have to. So it's just like an opportunity for what? So let's see. Valentine's. Yes. I will confess on wherever, day. whoever's listening to this, I will confess that on my third, I was 30 at the time. Um, on Valentine's Day at 7 p.m., I was single and I had my professional nudes done at that was Ooh, my evening to myself. I love that. It was wonderful, wonderful experience. It's how empowering yeah. is that though? Um, I cannot wait to find them in a drawer when I'm eighty or something. You know like, what I mean? It's uh, but like wonderful. just like in the moment, yeah. like it's there's something exhilarating about it. It's you know I'm all yeah. about seeing yourself in a different light. And that was that was one pretty direct way to do it for sure. And it's like, and it's also you're allowing someone like sure. that vulnerability with someone in their vision. It's like an artist is seeing you in a in a. It's an exercise way. of it's trust that I was yeah. in control of, 
I could decide how much, you know, sort of how to go about it in a way. Um, I also could buy, not buy the photos. Mm. Um, I had the rights to the photos. There was a contract. I felt confident in that, um, you know, for various reasons. It was, it was a great choice for me. And I think it was a really strong way to claim i mean that's sort of yeah, <laughs> a little yeah. bit personal it, disclosure but it, i love it yes, thank you it's for wonderful. sharing that Absolutely. no it's great i think and if you want the contact because um the photographer is yeah, wonderful that would be yeah. amazing she's Honestly. like if you want the photos yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Okay."> <laughs> <laughs> well i have this whole concept called be your own muse and like behind the selfies which is Ooh. because you're in control right like that's why i love selfies because it's also you're not giving it away that's very vulnerable mm. to allow someone else to photograph you but just with selfies it's like okay i'm the one deciding what I look like and I'm alone so it's this very intimate space where you can fully express and right. you choose how you see yourself and how you'll be seen so there's something Wait, and for, you know in photos and selfies man like looking at social media now it's such an important thing to think about I I probably say at least twice a week to somebody in my office careful with photos remember that you know photos are how you look in that one moment in time at that weird angle with that lighting and also whenever you look at a picture of yourself it's at the flipped image of how you look at yourself in the mirror Right. And none of us are completely symmetrical. So how we feel about our images are not how other people perceive us. And and it's just so important to remember that they're just a snippet of a moment in time at one of particular totally. combination of parameters. So we got to be a little kinder to For ourselves sure. about them. And yeah. it's, a, it's an opportunity to practice that mm -hmm. and to think, OK, it's not I have to do be that perfect thing or that workout and go on that detox plan before I get the photos. It's like, this is me now. <laughs> so I'm not saying, you know, we're all perf perfectly imperfect. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's that nudge, whatever kind of photo you want to take. But we like, how many photos do we take? And we're like, oh, not that one, not that one, not yeah. that one, not that but one. But that's why it's also nice yeah. to have a photographer who's someone yeah. who's like does this. So like both yes. are really interesting. Right. You know, you get to like a more artistic and then you get to be the artist who's He's photographer. Lighting so. professional. Yeah. So that's what these, oh. you know, this person is. And, and sure. really, um, yeah, they, they just, they want you to feel good and they want to capture um, you in a way that will make you feel proud of yourself. Yeah. There's, and it's, it's really, it was, it's very classy. Um, the person I went to is really wonderful. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's so it's nice really to nice celebrate experience. yourself and to be like, yeah, like I want to yeah, remember. I felt brave this. and, yeah. you know, it felt indulgent and elegant um, and very important to my development, quite frankly. Mm, love that. Oh, love that. Amazing. So it's any ideas, exactly. It's any way to kind <laughs> so of step. That was <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Hello. I love these like non-traditional right. right. It's great. Uh, fast forward to two years yeah. later, I think. When was it? Um, yeah, two years later. Two years later, my husband, um, we were not married yet, actually. He gives me a little card with a hand-drawn palm tree. And he said, we leave in two weeks. And we went to St. Lucia. Oh, <laughs> that was my Valentine's Day two years really later. Nice. Wow. After he found the nudes. <laughs> <laughs> he has seen the nudes. <laughs> I have a funny story of someone who I know who took, you know, sensual photos. And um, and then their their little girls found them. And she just overheard, and another one of mummy. And another one of mummy. <laughs> 
but it uh, is, we could talk about but parents, you know, by the way. We could look back yeah. on these years. Like we should all be just embracing ourselves now. And you might not even love yourself that second. And it might be awkward and you might want to yeah. be into all the judgment. Mode. I can guarantee but you years later, you're going to look back and, and love be them. like, yes, yes, I could guarantee. You. So when I first that's right, there are a few, you know, I look at them like, oh, my God, I don't like that or whatever. For sure. And even just now, you know, uh, whatever, four plus years later, I, I, I think, oh, no, those are pretty good. You know, already now, like they're, they're good. I'm yeah. going to be happy. I have those. Yes. And, and it's not because I look perfect. It's because it's me at that time. And it's, <sighs> and it's just such a crazy thing to have done. And I, yeah, absolutely. I think that when you said the, the kid finding the pictures, that brings up a whole other topic, by the way, that is such a wonderful topic to address at a different time is, um, is just the development of nudity and sexuality from childhood, mm. um, whether you're a parent or, you know, how basically how to communicate about nudity to your kids and how to address those things. I was so shy oh, and wow. always had so much shame. I was like that crazy shy about my body kid. Crazy huh. shy about my body kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know in my family, my mom and I are two peas in a pod. We will share a changing room at a mall, like, you know, in a mm -hmm. store, no mm -hmm. problem. And I'm really grateful to her for, for mm -hmm. always being, um, you know, like nude, comfortable and, and really it just passed that on to me specifically um, in, a, in a really important way. You know, we don't, I, I haven't hesitated um, in that way. It doesn't mean I am comfortable with myself, um, you know, certainly all the time at all, but it is, there's a precedent to me that nudity and sexuality are different. And, and I think that's an important message too, that you can that's have really huge. intimate, yeah. wonderful naked time that is not sexually on time. Like you don't have to be sexually Ugh. vulnerable at times you're naked with a partner. And it's, a, it's so important to do that. I mean, showering with a partner is such a sacred time. Um, I encourage couples to do that. Have time where you say, this is not a sexual time, but do you want to shower with me? And then you rub, you know, you wash each other's backs and you just have that talk that's that little bit different. And you know, when you go to work that day that you saw each other in a light that nobody else does, you know, and it's, it's really right. special. And I think mm -hmm. it really fosters connection in the next er erotic encounter. That's really nice. And I think that's, a, that's one of the reasons now I kind of like delaying having sex because I feel like it takes away from all of that other stuff you can be sharing in and you can be touching or like or like playing around with like seeing each other without having it to just be about sex because I feel like once we have sex that's yeah. all it becomes about, that's all it's about after that well and important uh, the book there's a book tell me what you want okay. um by Justin Leigh Miller He's, he's really well known right now and, and did wonderful research on, you know, what people actually want and what's really going on in people's um, sexual lives around fantasies and things. Anyway, it's a, it's a wonderful read. Um, he, he says that, um, I, I forget what the quote exactly is because that's always me, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's something like um, people are having sex because sexual communication is so much more difficult than just having sex. And I think, in, especially in the casual dating world, you know, mm -hmm. people are just it's just so awkward to have to talk about what would actually work for you that that initial social sexual capital just you know that drive to just have sex so that you had sex so that you have hit the ground running with this person you know it will it provides a short-term comfort in a way or validation really uh, but unfortunately because neither person will feel it was a gratifying experience most of like you know 97 percent of the time uh made up statistic on the spot obviously <laughs> um, then <laughs> chances are the if it's a male-bodied person he will feel 
you know, his performance was not one that he's very proud of. So he'll just sort of want it to have not existed and he will not reach out out of his own shame. And, and the, you know, potentially female bodied person will feel it really wasn't that great. They didn't feel particularly cared for, or, you know, it didn't really take care of their pleasure. Chances are, and so they don't talk to each other again. And that's that um, you can Google vulnerability hangover um, with my name on it. That's an article on psychology today that was has basically like a run through of what actually happens in the majority of casual dating I hear about in session. Um, and it's, you know, it's very unfortunate. These are lost opportunities. And, and I know that in my work, one of my fundamental goals is just to help people not lose the opportunities that they already have to form erotic connection in their lives and, 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 and to really foster the, and cultivate gratifying relationships from the interactions they're having and missing out on. And you need to just like, you have to have that safe, honest spot to communicate because I have never really had a relationship where I can speak so, 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 so truthfully without the person feeling hurt or something, you know? So for example, uh, physical connection is also very mental. And with women, I find, while well, I'm speaking for myself, it's all the other stuff that you're even saying. It's like life is friggin' foreplay. So if you're not supporting me emotionally, if you're not seeing me, if you're not supporting my drive, if you're not being patient and compassionate with me as a person, I am losing interest to get down with you in the bedroom if you're my partner, you know? Yeah. And so then that interest is lost, so that doesn't go down, and then the, you know, the partner will then retract, and they kind of need, it's like the chicken and the egg. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm mentally fueled to get there, they're physically fueled, but, like, who's going to give first? Well, you got to talk about it, like, you got to get into the ring, yeah. <laughs> round <laughs> one, you know? I mean, it's actually okay to say, f to be forthcoming with that, and to just say, you know, I'm feeling a little spell of some insecure kind of thoughts. I need I need a dosage of reassurance. I want to know where you're at. Where, how are you feeling? Did you enjoy? And then these these kinds of sentences, like I said, they're not in our back pocket when we're dating. And it's, then you find out, are you on the same page? And if yeah. you're not on the same page, okay, well then, you know, maybe you well, turn, turn the page. Well, it comes down to a lot of people being afraid to being, yeah. to, uh, being alone. Being rejected. Being rejected. Yes, and like, right. oh, yeah. they think like if they speak up, the person's going to walk yeah. away. So that there's being that alone, you're is, right. And it coming up on Valentine's yeah. Day, that's why people like feel so ashamed because a lot of Valentine's Day is just reinforcing that idea of like, being with your partner, being with your partner, mm. being in a couple. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I'm alone on Valentine's Day. And being alone doesn't need to mean lonely. It doesn't need to mean failure. It can mean like, wow, maybe you've, like you really know who you are. You're standing in your worth. You're standing in mm. your power. And it takes a lot of courage to, you know, do your thing and work against the grain. You know, you're speaking to a single girl. Now. I know. So I'm like, single girl. I'm a single lady. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be a little optimistic about yeah. the fact that, frankly, I, yeah. I think Valentine's Day has lost its pressure. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I do think that there's, you know, there are a lot of uh, awesome events going on or just like, you so know, have your girlfriend. Yeah. yeah, like have your people so. over um, and or just have a little dinner party or whatever. Invite. Or don't Even couples even don't necessarily want to be alone on Valentine's yeah. Day. They want to enjoy each other and sometimes in the company of other people. They, Valentine's Day, you know, is really such a commercial brutality. It, I call it breakup season, obviously, as you know, because somewhere between buying a person a gift on Christmas and having to celebrate Valentine's Day, you really figure out if this is something you want to be celebrating. Mm 
So I, it is a very difficult time on relationships. I, I think it's, it's also beyond Valentine's day. It's kind of this idea of like success versus failure as a woman. Mm-hmm. I've, I've found that a lot of the time I've only become comfortable being single, like in my thirties, mm. mostly, I feel like in my twenties, I always felt defective. Like there was something wrong with me. Like, why am I the perpetually single girl? Like, like why can't I be in a relationship? Also, how do people get into relationships? <laughs> like how it was, this work? how yeah. does this work? Like, how is this happening? <laughs> you know, that's a whole other thing. But, um, like for me, I think it's, it's our, it's our society that it's like, Oh, the ideal is to be partnered up and like mm. being single is Sad. Like there's this underlying like that was my belief for a right. really long time. Now I this feel very that you're, that you're pitied. Yeah. Somehow. And like or that people, you know, because everyone asks you, oh, do you have a boyfriend? This and that. And then eventually they like, you know, there is this idea of like, OK, what's what's going on? Mm. Why? Why are you always single? You right, know, like right, is there right. something wrong with her? You the know? narrative in my life when I when I was single was, well, obviously, who the hell's going to date you? You're an Ivy League trained sex therapist. Who's going to touch mm. that? That was like this funny, like, <laughs> who's going to date you? Wow. And it used to really upset me because I thought that, uh, oh, shit. Was there truth to you that? You know, yeah. Did I become the proverbial too much that I sort of always apologized for being yeah. because I was sort of comfortable talking about anything? And, and um and well, it turns out I found one. <laughs> Maybe it took a while. I had to import them actually. Um, but you know, it there is something. There's something there. Some real fear and some real, um, again, just sort of another narrative on which we tack our our inability to permit ourselves as imperfect. You know, and and that sort of thing. And it comes from everywhere, right? So it might come. It really has has to do with your family. Yep. Too like, is everyone in your family married? Is this what like is celebrated? Is this what's in the Christmas cards? It's all about, oh, you know, yeah. the relationships and the kids, and then the culture of your you know. Family. So it really depends on the culture that you're in, um, and then rewriting that script not only for yourself if you've grown up like that but helping the people around you see hey like this is how i see it i need you to join me and support that yes um i had a hilarious situation um the other day when i was facetiming with a guy and my my nieces and nephews call me geggy and so they saw a guy on my facetime i've been single for years now um like my christmas parties you know so i've just they've known me especially if they're only you know young kids their memory mm-hmm. as single geggy so they saw they saw a guy on my facetime and they started chanting geggy has a boyfriend oh boy geggy has a boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> of course that geggy happened has a boyfriend <laughs> and it was like a cheer as if like i was like have i been single for this long that like the kids are <laughs> celebrating they're like pop the bottles oh boy hold on to that like christmas card we've got a new edition before you send it out um and it was just hysterical <laughs> like i just let it go because it was so 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 funny but like i do feel like right now in my life i am kind Kind of trying to like just like Sabrina kind of preach that like alone doesn't mean lonely and it doesn't you know just kind of figuring out how you define success yeah um and so. and like and having those if if for example when you are on a date or if you are you know when you're pursuing these interactions you can't do it from a place of anything other than do I want this yeah it feels so good to know that you don't yeah <laughs> or to own it when you don't yes. and to be like yes. okay with yes. not wanting exactly. it I feel like a lot of the time a lot of people will be like well I'm tired of being what's alone. wrong with like, him why don't you just go yeah. on that date that yeah. was one I used to get oh, yeah. but what's wrong with him and I'm like there doesn't have to be something wrong with him I just don't find him that particularly appealing I don't feel anything 
Sparky. So the answer here is um, no, I'd rather, you know, I have a dog. I could be home with my dog, <laughs> the classic meme, right? Why would I have plans? So the plan has to be worth getting up and out. And especially when it comes to dating, if there's a, frankly, there's a safety risk. You know, if you're not that into a person, don't put yourself at risk, whether it's STIs or assault or, or just being the risk of him not smelling good don't do that if you're not into the person don't be on that date because you know the wrong nights as a night spent with the wrong person is you know really just a night you could be spending being happy on your own or or meeting somebody else your time is your currency your energy is your currency mm. and you know you get really depleted um so what's next for you for what's, me what's any kind of vision goal any kind of anything uh well now uh, my a big goal I have is, is licensing erotic empathy as a competence for therapists, like I said at the beginning of this, Very and nice. really wanting to make this accessible to people who don't have any sexuality or intimacy training, but are able to work with couples and help individuals in relationships. I want them to have this dialogue to be able to talk about the erotic with with skill and intention, um, you know, bring, bringing that... I what's what, the eroticism to to mindfulness and to, to connection um skills that they're offering in their skills uh, in their sessions anyways so that's one thing um i i just uh, got approved for a journal article that i that i have published it's in press i wrote something called the rsvp to sex and couples therapy so uh, which is a mo mainly two session sex education um intervention before couples dive into the the nitty gritty of their work. And so it gives couples the opportunity to show up to sessions sort of cohesively as, as students in a way for a minute and get this sense of vocabulary and, and the, that learn together about what, what working would look like. And then we dive into their relationship and we start implementing what they've understood from those first two meetings um, into their treatment plan. So RSVPing to sex and couples therapy, it's a way to really arrive before you bring your vulnerability uh, so that's that's going to be um, published in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy uh, any day now. Really looking Congrats. forward to that thing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Congrats. it's really um, it's been a few years in the making. And uh, if people want to learn more about what you do, I feel like there's so much here <laughs> that's going to be really helpful and inspiring. Sure. Where can people find you or find the articles you've written? Sure. So. Um, Actually, <laughs> that's a whole other project. I'm working on synthesizing <laughs> it all into one place, but it doesn't right. really exist in one place yet okay. right away. So there is uh, eroticempathy.com uh, is, is the main hub that I'm going to be adding that the media materials to um, in the near future. There's Erotic Empathy, the Instagram. Center for Erotic Empathy is on uh, my office. The Center for Erotic Empathy is on Facebook as a page. And based in Westmount, Montreal, right now. Yes, yeah. um, so I'm right yeah. in Westmount. Um, what else should I say? That's great. Well, I think that's, that's it. a lot. That's yeah. good. I look so, forward to kind of even just kind of sitting on uh, some things that we've talked about so much. today. I love that you said that. I really do want to also welcome anybody listening to give me feedback about these concepts because mm -hmm. I'm really honing them, like I said, as a skill set and any important anecdotes that were flagged for you as you listen to our discussion about this, please feel free to write me. I always joke I have more DMs than likes because <sighs> people are afraid of being seen liking it, but please talk to me 
me. That's cool. Same. Love it. So funny. <laughs> this whole like secret conversation uh-huh. going on if it's sexual related. So feel free. Um, I don't do therapy on messaging, but I will without a doubt um, be thrilled to hear some feedback and, and I welcome that. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking yeah, the time. Thank I'm you. sure people will, you know, keep expanding the relationship with themselves, with the new perspective and with their current partner, with their future partners. And I have a killer Martha Stewart carrot cake recipe for you, <laughs> your husband. So I'll send you that. I will put take all it. the links up. Okay. Thanks, Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, hanging out, and being part of this self-love journey with us. We're in this together. Self-compassion is a practice, but through embracing your whole self, you pave the way for so much growth. Using our voices and connecting through our stories empowers us and each other. Be part of the movement and spread the word by screenshotting this episode, sharing it on Instagram, and tagging at BedTalksThePodcast. You can also rate, subscribe, and leave us a review on iTunes. We love hearing from you. Bed Talks is a WRG media production recorded in the historic RCA building in St. Henry, Montreal. See you next time for more Bed Talks with your girls, Megan Sabrina.